Question. Can God make a rock so big he can't lift it? You've probably heard that one before, but have you ever actually thought about it? This is a question that I have been asked multiple times. See, I am a Christian apologist, and I help Christian laymen build their legacy in their families so that they, their kids, and their wife can answer the questions that the world is asking from the Bible and see Jesus change lives as they share their faith. To know what questions the world is actually asking, then, I do AMAs every two weeks on the chat app called Discord. AMA stands for Ask Me Anything. And I've had discussions now with about 100 different people, all on their own different spiritual journeys. And this question has come up more than once. At first glance, it might sound like a dumb question, like a gotcha question that is designed to throw you off track. And we all hate those. But it's one of those questions that's like an onion. You know, when you peel back the layers, you find that there's more to it. So how would you respond? That is what we're talking about today. And along the way, I'm going to share with you a method for defending your faith that you can use with this question and with many more questions. This is Worldview Legacy the show that helps Christian men become the worldview leaders that their families and churches need. My name is Joel Sedeckes. I am a Bible teacher and former pastor who used to defend the Christian worldview the completely wrong way until God changed my attitude and my approach. And now I help people to share and defend their faith with confidence and to pass it on to the younger generation. I've developed an approach to defending the faith and answering the questions that people ask that any Christian with a Bible can use. It's a three-step method that focuses as much on offering God's grace and leading the person to the gospel as it does on defending the truth in an intellectual way. That is the method that I'm about to share with you. So, how should you really answer the question, can God create a rock so big he can't lift it? Well, as you become the worldview leader that your family and church need, You need to be able to handle the big philosophical issues and the popular level ones that people ask you. This is one of those popular level questions that you're going to get and that you can connect up to the bigger issues. By the way, shout out to my pastor, Joe Thorne, for pointing that out to me recently at a leadership lab at Redeemer Fellowship. So if you've ever been asked this question, and I know that you have, or you will, maybe by your own kids, this episode is for you. And if you're looking for a method for defending your faith that you can use with just about any objection, this episode is for you too. And if you've been into apologetics for a while and you've been studying it, and maybe you want to hear a usable, popular level application of a transcendental argument, like the kind that apologist Greg Bonson talked about, this episode is for you too. Today, we're going to be answering the questions. What is the real challenge being presented by the unliftable rock question? What role can shame play in answering questions to Christianity? How can you get to the bigger question behind the rock question and use that to give a strong defense of the Christian worldview? And of course, can God actually create a rock so heavy he can't lift it or not? Now, if this piques your interest and you enjoy learning how to articulate answers to the questions that the world is asking, then I want to tell you about a free community that we've started to help Christians like you who aren't pastors to be able to do that even better. I'll let you know about that at the end. 
All right, so how would you respond to this question? You know, the premise behind it is actually deeper than it seems. It turns out this question really isn't that dumb. So let me explain what it's getting at. The Bible says that God is all-powerful or omnipotent. And an omnipotent being can do anything. So he should be able to make a rock that is infinitely heavy. So heavy, in fact, that not even he can lift it. But if God can't lift something, then he is not all-powerful. Therefore, the idea of an omnipotent God seems to involve a contradiction. A contradiction is when two things cannot both be true in the same way and at the same time. An omnipotent God would have to be both all-powerful and not all-powerful at the same time by this reasoning. That's a contradiction, and contradictory claims are false, necessarily. So, does the Bible really teach contradictions by teaching that God is omnipotent? Well, my goal today is to teach you a method that you can use to answer this objection or any objection. And this is my big idea, how to become a worldview guide. Now, someone without the Lord Jesus is lost, and a lost person needs a guide. A person with a false worldview needs a worldview guide. So, as a worldview guide, there are three things that you must show your lost friend. These are the three things. One, show the problem with their position. Two, show how the Bible solves that problem. And three, show how Jesus solves their ultimate problem. Okay, so step one, show the problem with their position. Now, the charter verse or passage for Christian apologetics is 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16. Maybe you've heard that before. It's the verse that lays out the prime rationale for defending your faith, giving an apologetic, giving a reasoned defense. And that passage, 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16, says that a good defense of your Christian faith should actually shame the person making the accusation. Here's what it says. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you to, you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence and keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. What is shame? Shame is a disturbed or painful feeling of guilt, indecency, or blameworthiness, so says Webster's Dictionary. So, in other words, you want your accuser to regret making the accusation because it's so obvious, given your defense against the accusation, that the accusation was false. Speaking bluntly here, the goal is to shut mouths. Now, this can create an open door for repentance, and I'll tell you more in a minute about why that's so important. But the first way that we do this as worldview guides is by showing the problem with the unbiblical position. And there is always a problem with it. You see, this is because what is our standard of truth? What is our ultimate standard of truth? It's the Bible, God's written word. According to Jesus himself, God's word is truth, John 17, 17. So at the point of disagreement between the person and the Bible, to the extent that there is a disagreement, the problem must always lie with the person, never the Bible. Your job as a worldview guide is to show them this problem. Why is this step important? Our goal when answering objections 
is not merely to win the argument. It's to win souls. 1 Corinthians 9.22 talks about that. Romans 11.14 talks about that. Winning souls is our goal. And a soul is never won by Jesus without repentance. So showing the flaw in their unbiblical thinking is an important step in bringing them to repentance. Okay, so let me give you an illustration here. Imagine that you got an Egg McMuffin at McDonald's, and you sat down at the table, you open it up, and you find there is no egg in it. Well, you would bring it up to the counter and lift up the top half of the muffin and show the person, see, no egg. That is like what you're doing here. You're showing the problem. You're lifting up the lid of the argument, and you're showing him, you're showing the person, this McMuffin has no egg. The unbiblical worldview has no logic. So at first, it might not be clear what your unbelieving friend is saying, that this is the accusation that they're making. So you want to ask questions until it becomes clear. Then as you ask those questions and listen, you'll see that this is what the skeptic is actually alleging, that the Bible's concept of an omnipotent God makes God both all-powerful because he can create the rock, and not all-powerful, because he can't lift the rock. This is a contradiction and a violation of the laws of logic. Logic is the science of correct reasoning. And there are laws of logic. There are, there are three laws of logic, as a matter of fact, and one of them is the law of non-contradiction. That law says that a statement and its negation cannot both be true in the same way and at the same time. But does the unbeliever have the right to make such a claim, such an accusation? After all, think about the laws of logic. What are they? They are propositions. They are statements about the way that things are and the way that things must be. And as statements, they have certain properties. They are not made of matter, so they're immaterial. How could a statement be made out of matter? They only exist in minds. You know, that's where statements live. They live in minds. They would be true even if every human being died, so they're objective. They never change, so they're unchanging. And they're true everywhere for everyone with no exceptions. So they are universal and absolute. We don't invent these laws, we discover them. In other words, they are revealed to us as we ponder the world and interact with it. And there are three laws of logic perfectly united in harmony. None is more important than the others. So within these laws of logic, there is unity and diversity. So you need logic for contradictions to matter, but logic only makes sense, follow me now, if there is a mind that is immaterial, objective, unchanging, universal, absolute, who reveals himself to us and who is three in one in perfect harmony. Now, spoiler alert, there is nothing like this in the non-Christian worldview. The non-Christian without God, has no basis for logic, no accounting for logic. And that means that his objection about God itself has no basis. The objection that God is illogical has no foundation. He cannot account for the very logic that he needs to make such a thing as a contradiction a thing. Now, here's the thing, though. <laughs> no one lives this way. No one lives like logic isn't really there. We all live like logic matters and that contradictions are bad. Even a child gets this, right? 
if I tell my kids one thing on Tuesday and the opposite thing on Wednesday, you'd best believe that my kids are going to say something. Everyone knows that contradictions are bad because logic is real and it's important. So the unbeliever who cannot account for logic needs to have an explanation for why logic matters and why contradictions matter, but the non-Christian worldview cannot account for logic. As a good worldview guide, you want to show him this. And now you're ready to move on to the next step. Step two, show the Bible's answer to the problem. Going back to 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16, we see that our apologetic must begin with, quote, sanctifying Christ as Lord in your hearts, end quote. Honoring Christ means honoring his word. The Bible itself is your most important tool as a worldview guide. So now you're going to show the skeptic that the biblical worldview gives you the perfect basis for logic, the kind of basis that he does not have in his worldview. So to appeal to logic, he's actually had to steal from your worldview. See, it's not enough to just break down your opponent's view. You want to show that God offers something better. And this is actually an act of kindness. It's like if you caught someone breaking into your house and they break in and they go into your kitchen and they start picking up scraps from under your table and eating those scraps. And you go up to the person, you catch them in the act and you say, hey, stop stealing from me. Look, those scraps, that's food. Yes, you can survive on that. But let me give you something better. Let me give you a steak. Okay, that's kind of like what you're doing here. This person, this unbeliever, was stealing from your worldview in order to use logic for his own unbiblical worldview. And you're going to give him something much more solid, something substantial, something healthy, something that's better for him. You're going to show how the Bible accounts for logic. And the Bible has all kinds of other wonderful doctrines and teachings with it as well. Okay, so here's how that is. Here's how the Bible accounts for logic. Remember that logic requires a mind that is immaterial, objective, unchanging, universal, absolute, who reveals itself to us, and who is three in one in perfect harmony. Okay, does this sound like anybody that you know? This is the triune God of Scripture. He is our basis for logic. Now, that means that logic is real, and contradictions really do matter to us, because logic is real. So now we need to answer the question of the rock that God supposedly can't lift or can't create because logic really does matter to us within our worldview. Now, this question is actually based on a faulty definition of what it means to be omnipotent. In other words, that God can do something that creates a contradiction. See, we like to define things the way we like to define them, and then we say, Oh, well, God has to, you know, this is what that attribute means. And so God has to meet me on my own terms. But that's not how God operates. God defines things for us. And then we have to conform our definitions to that, to God's definition. So what does the Bible say about God's power? No, the Bible does say that God can do all his holy will. Daniel 4.35 talks about that. But it also lists some things that God cannot do. God cannot be tempted by evil. God cannot lie. God cannot deny himself. You see, God is consistent, and there is no contradiction in his nature. God is never illogical because logic itself is 
in his perfectly logical character. So to come back and answer our original question, this is the moment you've been waiting for, God cannot create a rock that he can't lift. And this is not a weakness of God. This is a strength. See, it's a weakness to be inconsistent, to be self-contradictory. You and I contradict ourselves all the time. We are weak. We are imperfect. God never contradicts himself. Now, this just means when we define what it means to be omnipotent, we have to do so on God's terms, on the basis of what God has revealed. We must not apply some arbitrary standard that we've created to God. He himself is the standard. So there is no contradiction in saying that God is omnipotent. God himself is the basis for the logic that makes contradictions even possible. So there's no contradiction there. Now, we can move on to the third thing that you need to show your unbelieving friend. Step three, show them the gospel. Remember that your goal is to win souls, not arguments. Anybody can win an argument, but God's word says that whoever wins souls is wise. Proverbs 11.30. Now, you've shown your non-Christian friend the problem with his worldview. It cannot account for the logic that he needs to make his objection in the first place. You've shown him the Bible's answer to the problem. God is the basis for logic, and God's omnipotence is non-contradictory. And now you're going to show him how Jesus solves his ultimate problem. You cannot miss this. This is crucial. Imagine that your friend is in from out of town. So you, you drive him into the city. For me, that's Chicago. You drive him into Chicago to see the sights. And as you're driving around, showing all the different sights, you never once pointed out the Sears Tower. You would be a terrible tour guide. In the same way, if you show your friend the Christian worldview and you miss Jesus, you are missing your duty as a worldview guide. And I will say, this is something that I've done many times. I've walked away from a conversation going, man, I had a great philosophical argument there, but did I really tell this person about Jesus? Did I lead them to the gospel, the gospel that can actually save his soul? So how should you do this? You say that the same Bible that says God is perfect also says that we are not. In fact, Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all sinned against God. And Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. We all deserve God's just punishment for our sin. This is the ultimate problem that must be solved. And God has solved it. God loved us and sent his son to die for the sins of his people and to come back to life. And Jesus now gives life to all who repent and trust in him. And so as Romans 6.23 continues, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, now, you might say, okay, this really isn't all that important. Not the gospel, but like the question in the first place. You know, it's just a silly question. It's just a dumb question. There's no need to get all philosophical with it. You might be thinking that. Well, to you I would say, it might be a fun question to think about. It might be kind of silly. It might be kind of dumb. But I hope that you've seen that there is a deeper issue here. It turns out to be an opportunity to guide someone to Jesus Christ. And there's nothing silly about that. If you want to answer the world's questions, then you must be ready 
and prepared to seize these opportunities, even at the entry-level basic questions, in order to guide people to Jesus. Now, someone else objected to me recently. She said, it doesn't seem like logic is the way to reach a lot of people in our culture. In other words, this argument is all well and good, but our culture has moved past logic. Logic doesn't speak to people the way that it used to. And to that person, I would say this is true. However, that doesn't mean that we should abandon logic. We have to speak the truth, and we have to trust that God will work as we speak his truth. And remember, when it comes to this question, you're on defense here. Someone asked you the question, even if they were doing it as a joke. They asked you, so you're responding to them. So at least at a surface level, they do care about logic. So now let's look back at where we've been. You've seen the three things that you must show your skeptical friend. You show him the problem in his unbiblical worldview, how the Bible solves that problem, and how Jesus solves his ultimate problem, sin and judgment, and how he needs the gospel. Now, mastering this approach takes practice, but it is worth it. To be the worldview guide that God has created you to be, it is worth it. This is God's truth. We just have the privilege of being able to share it and to defend it. So now you know. The real challenge being presented by the rock question is, does the Bible teach contradictions? And you've heard how shame can play an important role role in answering objections to Christianity. You should give a response to this question that makes it so obvious that the accusation is false, that it shuts the mouth of the unbeliever, not in a cruel way, not in an arrogant way, but in a way that makes him regret making the accusation, because it's so obvious what God's truth really is. This creates an open door for repentance. We talked about that. Now, you can get to the bigger question behind the rock question by asking your own questions, finding out what's really being alleged. And then you can uncover the problem in the non-Christian position. And this sets you up to contrast it with the Christian position and to give a strong defense of the Christian worldview. And of course, you, you want to bring that around to the gospel. Now, can God actually create a rock so heavy he can't lift it? No. He cannot. But this is not a weakness of God's. This is a strength because it means he's perfect. So, I know that you want to become the worldview leader that your family and your church need. That's probably why you're here. And part of that is getting better at answering popular level questions like this and connecting those questions to the bigger issues. If you want to do this and get better at this, then join the Think Squad group now. Start having discussions like this with over 500 others who are also on the journey to become worldview leaders that their families and their churches need. All you have to do is open up Facebook and search for Think Squad. That's T H I N K S Q U A D. Answer the short membership questions. That's all it takes. Get into the group now. Well, thanks for listening to Worldview Legacy. Thank you to Joe Thorne and the other members of Redeemer Fellowship who gave me feedback on this talk. This episode was produced by yours truly, Joel Sedekes and is a production of the Think Institute.